Good. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to uh, the Cape Cod Writers Studio. We're live today. And Gloria just came in. Hi, Gloria. Are you up yet? Hi, Sharon. Yes, I'm I'm here, I think. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I, I wonder if anybody's going to come today. It's such a beautiful day outside. I know it. I, I know. I'm going to run after this is over. I'm going to run up to the post office. But yeah, it's beautiful out. I know. Perfect Cape Cod day, huh? Yes. Beautiful Cape Cod day. Yep. I went for a nice long walk. So I got my vitamin D. <laughs> yeah. Ready to go. How have you been? Good. Really good. Thank you. Busy. Um, I just finished Liz's book. Uh, it's out for proof now. So it looks good. Her cover, I you know, because Deb couldn't do the cover. So I ended up doing the cover. <laughs> That took some ingenuity, but who is, who is Liz? Uh, Liz Mahana. She's one of our. She was one of our earlier students. Um, her first book was about um, because she's been through a lot. Was about uh, uh, dealing with type one diabetes. Oh yes, I remember her. Yeah, and then the second book now is about her transplants. She had a kidney and a pancreas all at the same time. They transplanted a pancreas? Yep, both, a kidney and pancreas. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah, I know. And there's a lot of medical terms in the book. She did a good job with the book. She really did. Um, and it, it's cute. You know, it came out nice. That's good. Is she going to put it on Amazon? Oh, it's already up on Amazon. We're just waiting for um waiting waiting for it to come back for proofs for the last, you know, for the last uh, edit and then um then it'll it'll be available. Uh -huh. But I already have it up on Amazon, but not published yet. You know how that goes. Yeah. Oh, what here comes Ch Charles. Is he? <laughs> He's coming. Morning, Charles. Oops. Connecting to audio, no video today. Um, you know what? Oh, there he is. There he is. Um, and video. Hi. You know what was really neat at our Friday meeting, um, the one live at the uh, library. Uh, you know who dropped who dropped in? Jeff. Jeff Canish. Yep. Really? How's yep. he doing? He's doing well. I think he's. It sounds like. I don't know. Maybe Charles can verify this, but it sounds like he's getting ready to. Um, sell his house I'm not sure but yeah that's what he said before mm -hmm. yeah he had he had some books that he offered to us if we wanted them 
and then he was going to donate them to the library, I believe. So, hi, Charles. Are you ready for today? Yes, I am. <laughs> Good. Well, we'll wait a little bit longer, see who else is going to drop in. So, um, no Jeff is not going to come back to the class? Oh, I don't know. I didn't ask him that. Um, Charles, you chatted with him. What was Jeff's, you know, was Jeff going to come back into the group? Um, he, he mentioned that he was going to try to, but I'm not sure if it's this week or, you know, next month. He said he missed us all, but but he had so much work to do on his house. He had a lot of rot and trim and a whole bunch of stuff on the outside. Now he's cleaning out the inside. Wow. You know what I might do? I think I'm going to stop the recording for now um, until we really get going. What do you think? What are your thoughts? Yeah, let's wait until we have something happening. <laughs> yeah, right now we don't, huh? Well, I'm waiting for Gloria to read again. <laughs> I don't know. Gloria, do you want to kick off? You want to start? Uh, uh, okay, I'll just finish uh, finish my uh, story. I did get an ending for my story about hard to give what you didn't get. Uh, okay, Paul's oh. coming in. Yeah, Paul's coming in. Okay. So there he is. I, so should I go ahead or wait for him? Um, why don't you wait? Hi, Paul. Hello. Hi. Um, glad you're here. Gloria was just about to start reading something. We're okay. live, just so you know. We're on, okay. you know, we're on podcast. Okay. Sounds good. All righty. Um, okay, Gloria, green light. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. <laughs> oh dear. I just realized I have to run and take a, a pill. I'll be right back. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me get back on. What What happened? I don't know. Here I am. Okay. I'm okay. All right. Share screen. Oh, should I wait or should I? Well, why don't you get it up and, you know, at least get it up on the screen? Okay. Uh, screen Sherry. Oops. Wait a minute. Gee, there's creepers. Here we go. There you are. Can you see it? Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. So um, anyway, um, if you recall, uh, this Danielle <clears throat> is um, working up on uh, her own therapy about being a grandmother and uh, uh, being a mother and so anyway we got through the first part and this is where I left off uh, okay so member said uh, let's see she was talking to her therapist and her therapist told her that the experiences 
with women who could not bond emotionally with, uh, with uh, her, influenced her own ability to embrace intimacy with her ex-husband and the daughters. So she said, Danielle says, what can I do to get this right? Well, make the most of the opportunities with your youngest daughter, Mia, who needs you while you learn to give what you did not get from your mother. How did I learn to give it? I don't even know what I didn't get. Being open to the process will reveal the details. Danielle returned to her home on Cottage Street in downtown Cleveland, more confused than ever. She noticed the phone machine blinking and hurried to retrieve the message since she rarely received voicemail messages. Hearing Maya's distressed voice, she quickly dialed her daughter's number. Mom, Stephen wants me to sell this house and move to a smaller one. He says he cannot afford to carry two households, real estate taxes, and upkeep. The child support payments are not enough to allow me to remain in the house and make up the difference. What should I do? Danielle spoke to Mia in her embedded caretaker voice. Remember that Danielle was a caretaker in her own family. <clears throat> Promising to drive over and help put the children to bed, allowing them to talk in private. Mother and daughter explored the many possibilities Mia could take with the help of Danielle as caretaker grandmother, a role she had avoided since Sarah's children lived in another city and communicated with her infrequently. When they did respond to her gifts, Simon and James would respond with one-word texts, no emojis, name, or valedictions. Here I go again. I thought I was done with this caretaking business. I love seeing Carolyn and Marion when I visited Mia's home every few weeks. Now I will probably spend more time there tell Mia raise her children or assist in the move. There goes my attempt at dating. Visits did indeed become more frequent and involvement with the little ones more intense, giving Mia some alone time. At times, Danielle would look in awe at her daughter's ability to respond to her children's emotional needs. Danielle was the disciplinarian and rule maker when she took care of the girls. They would report problems with grandma to Mia, who would then have a talk and instruct Danielle on how to handle each child and each problem. Learning to respond to angry feelings would help her deal with Carolyn, who would explode in anger if she didn't get her way. Mia helped Danielle find the right words for a child who experienced hospital stays and surgery for her, her, her inherited heart problems. I am being reparented myself, Danielle would tell herself when she returned home in a physical and emotional state. I guess I'll be a better grandmother when this is all over, if I survive. The girls had become less manageable as they entered grade school. They had responded to a new and smaller home with resentments. Marion, Marion, led the way with, oh, 
the child. Marion led the way with disrespectful language and constant complaints about her mother and grandmother. Daddy had become her hero, especially when his, uh, his rule enforcements Rule enforcement was lax, and his patients extended with pizza nights and late bedtime rules. When the girls returned home from a weekend with Dad, they would rebel and complain. Danielle described herself as a doormat to Mia, who agreed that changes would be required. We must have better boundaries with them and with ourselves. I'm going to look for a job, and I can't depend on you to be here every day to be abused. Watching her daughter engineer those changes, Danielle was in awe. Mia landed a job as office manager in a medical practice, persuaded Stephen, her ex, to pick up the girls during the vacations in summer, feed them, and return them home during the week and enforced bedtime and screen time. When the girls spoke trollishly or disrespectfully, she imposed consequences, giving clear and decisive eye messages, correcting their behaviors, and telling them in no uncertain terms that her feelings were hurt. But she was the mother and in charge. The chief, but not the wicked mother, reassuring them that she loved them and would hear the underlying messages if they quit the drama and told it to her straight. Grandmother Danielle heard the echoes of Mia's voice when visiting or caretaking. She practiced her no-nonsense responses to the limit-testing behaviors and enforced the house rules. The battles were frequent at the beginning of the new regime. But Carolyn and Marion were no match for the two adults shaping the revolution. Marion, as a mouthy, hormone-driven 12-year-old, kept her distance from this new nana. Retreating into her room, she avoided contact. When her mother was present, she would turn into a compliant daughter and participate in Grandmother Danielle's card games perhaps rolling her eyes and biting her tongue. <laughs> Carolyn had not entered the chaos of adolescence yet, allowing Danielle to be the entertaining figure who would read to her and play word games. She would allow herself to cuddle while watching movies and hugged her when Danielle left to return home. These small tokens of affection were new to grandmother Danielle, who had been raised to be reserved and respectful of personal space. She was unable to bring up any memories of mother or grandmother hugs. Of course, dads were encouraged to keep their distance, especially when her daughter became a young woman. She watched her daughter give those hugs freely, tell them she loved them before they left for school or at bedtime. The pictures in Danielle's family album resembled a Grant Wood painting, but with impeccable clothing, banana curled hair, and a respectable distance between the family members. There were no echoes of I love you in her dreams. She wondered whether other families kept the same traditions. Her friend Annette's French family would always give her a two-cheek kiss but never a hug. Again, she found it difficult to give hugs and kisses to her own children 
or grandchildren. Hard to give what you didn't get. And yet, she learned a great deal as a grandmother to her Cleveland grandchildren via her daughter's role modeling. Those years of therapy shaped Mia into a strong, assertive woman who would end up parenting herself, her children, and her mother. Danielle not only learned what she didn't receive in her own childhood, but resolved her own unfinished business during her training at Mia's. The therapy Mia had received as a child was worth the expense and the time it took for both daughter and mother. Grandmother, Grandma had finally grown up. Monica would love to hear that story. Well, that's a nice ending to it. Well, I tried to make it nice. I think you made it work. Yeah, okay. Um, did you find it easier to keep the names this time? I know last time yes. we did. Yeah. Was yes. it? I corrected. I corrected my mistakes. Uh, you know, because because these are stories are based on real interviews, and in my notes, I have the real names of the interviewees and the grandchildren. And so, when I write the story, you know, and try to get a theme out of it. Then I confuse the real names with the makeup names that I have. So <laughs> I corrected that this time. Okay. Yeah, very, very, I think it was very interesting. Charles, any comments on this? this I, I love this story. I said last week, I think this is, this book is a go because it's uh you know, it's it's so accessible to so many different people from different walks of life. I really enjoy it. Thank you, Charles. Yeah. I'm struggling to, uh, <clears throat> you know, to make the themes to every, to get the, extract the themes out of every interview I do. And I'm almost finished interviewing everybody that I want to interview. Yeah. How many interviews have you done? I've done about 15. Wow. And how many more do you think you need to do? I, uh, I'm going to do about three or four more. Then, uh -huh. you know, if somebody else comes up with an interesting or from an interesting subgroup, I'll, I'll uh, interview them too. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I like the way you, because you're handling human conditions here, and I like the way you blend them. Um, and it's kind of neat to know that, you know, even though it, she's a grandmother, she can still learn. And I think that's a, a big um, issue for a lot of grandmothers, because sometimes they just think, you know, oh, my daughter can't tell me anything. But you've made it so gentle the way you brought it out. So really, really well done. My, I, I think so. Thank you. And, you know, the person um, I interviewed had similar um, experiences. So what I'm going to do is send it to her. Um, 
and uh, see what she thinks. Oh, well, there's an idea. Yeah. Have you um have you sent any of your other stories back to the people you know were part of the you know part of the yes one subject? yes mm -hmm. and, and she, she she gave me a few suggestions and she uh, understood what I was trying to do yep she said she she that I, that's the only one I've sent but I intend to send them all. You know, I'm trying to extend this throughout the winter when I'm holed up and <laughs> trying to avoid uh, COVID. Okay. Thank okay. You. Yeah. Thanks. And you don't think you you go? Yeah. Look, you can take it down. Okay. Um, any other any other comments? Um, at the risk of repeating myself, uh, I think you need to, to dive into the circumstances, the situations, get closer to them so you hear people talking, you see action. If somebody turns their back on a person, you see that and that, right now I feel like you're flying over the story. And I, and I want, as a reader, I would want to get much closer. When you talk about, you know, they're reparenting you, I would much rather get that out of seeing it. And you can have that understanding come out from the experience. So there's a lot where you talk about how people are treating each other, but you don't show it. Um, well, yeah, I think you have to read uh, the first part and the, uh, and the second part. You weren't here, uh, but I'll certainly take that into consideration. And I appreciate your suggestion because I okay. try to show and not tell. Okay, good. <laughs> Okay, thanks. All right. Um, we have. Uh, did you bring something today, Paul, to read? Uh, I do have something. Um, it wasn't anything I wrote last week or two, but it's something I wrote a few weeks ago. Um, I'm not sure that I can show it on the screen, or maybe I should just read it. Um, Why can't you show it on the screen? It doesn't seem to work. I'm not quite familiar with how to work this thing, so I'll try this desktop. Okay, let's see. That word. Share screen. Yeah, you go up to share screen, which is a green. Yeah, no, I did that. Oh, you did? Okay. But first, you've got to open it on your desktop. Well, I did that actually. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, where the heck is it? Okay. And then share screen. Okay. Well, no, I, I did that. And the question I have now is I'm looking at all these options. Uh, let's just go over. For, um, Desktop one. Let's see if I hit that. Share. Let's see. Okay. Well, I have it on my desktop. It's not wanting to share. <laughs> All right, don't, don't worry little, about it. Don't you have a little share green, a share screen button down at the bottom? I do, I do. Well, press that. I did, and now <laughs> I. I don't believe you. <laughs> okay. Uh, it ends up taking me to security and privacy. I'm not quite sure. Oh no, you don't. I know that. That's kind of. No. Oh. Wrong way. It's okay. 
All right. If you have it up and open, why don't you just go ahead and read it? Okay. All right. Okay, it's in front of me. Can you see my can you see me still? Oh yeah, we can see you. You're okay. fine. Yeah. Well, this is called Divorce Attorney in the Ultimate Court of Justice. Uh-oh. <laughs> it has been years since my ex-wife's divorce attorney was allowed to berate and castigate me both in and out of court for my alleged parsimony, cruelty, and malevolence and malevolence. Years since I first heard myself accused of serial disengagement from the lives of my children, yet deemed strangely overbearing and controlling at the same time. And years since I have been allowed to voice my outrage and still bleeding psychical wounds as evidence of her attorney's heartless attacks on my character and purse. Now it is she who stands accused in the witness dock. She who must lie awake night after night, worried and wondering about the cruelty of a justice system that transcends time, place, and physical realities. She who must prove her innocence of purpose and deed in actions towards me. Actions I am certain that only myriad behaviors that destroyed the lives of dozens of other men whose only crime was to marry women who would eventually seek her out as their advocate for divorce in a Massachusetts court of law. I cannot help but think back to all the cruelty she heaped upon me, naming me in her initial charge seat as a verbally, verbally abusive cheapskate of a husband who emotionally abandoned his wife and three children after 15 years of marriage. No reference, of course, to her client's own perfidy. I'm having trouble with my speech again. Perfidy and spousal abandonment. No allusion to the three-year period in which her client injected a totally inappropriate relationship with a second cousin into our marriage and our lives. One particularly painful episode that flashes before my eyes is when she and her client, pretending to willingly begin divorce negotiations, came to my lawyer's office and immediately threw upon the table a demand so egregious and impossible we had no choice but to reject it. After all, it was not in my power to commit my employer to paying 100% of my children's eventual college costs. Well, I never, she declared, throwing up her hands. If you are not prepared to negotiate, we are leaving now. With that, she and her clients stood up, gathered their few belongings and walked out in a grieved huff. Signaling, late, signaling, I later discovered the beginning of a protracted and excruciating, painful and ex expensive battle for divorce. And now here she was, sitting on the witness stand, twisted like a pretzel to cover up her nakedness, waiting for me to begin asking questions I had worried over for years. In a strange, almost karmic twist of justice, I was there in that courtroom as both prosecutor and judge. Well, it was my dream after all. <laughs> I love it. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry about the uh, speech thing. This is the same thing that was happening the other day. That's why I took that medicine. I've got it. A medical issue related to my medicine 
And if I don't take it exactly on time, I get I get this problem. My okay. arm. Well, you came through fine. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, any comment? Oh, the vocabulary was fabulous. It's almost like you did law school. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> any comments, Charles? Oh, no, no worries on anything there, Paul. That was uh, that was a great story. Thank you. Maybe that's not maybe that's not the right thing to say. A great story, but it was a terrific story. There are a lot of men who can identify with it. Yeah, no kidding. A lot of women too. Is Probably. It, is it personal? Oh yes. Oh yes. Personal. Oh yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, mostly everything I write has a personal twist to it at some level. Even that bit about the cat. There was something with a cat in my consciousness that week i don't remember what but it all comes out of whatever i experience so in the end you had to pay <laughs> i don't Certainly. know it was a dream no it was my dream <laughs> it was a dream but you had to pay in reality not in the story but oh sure yeah no 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 that was i paid uh quite a lot for that story it's interesting to look at it like that, but you, it's true. It's very true. Yeah. And in the and in the story and in your real life, did the woman have any uh, uh, kind of uh, cause for your uh, neglect of your children or blah blah blah? Or is no. she made it up? Um, I will see. She had a particularly strong practice. She was very ex, um, skilled in tearing down the opposition, and she mostly um, was attorney for for women seeking divorce against husbands. And yeah. Uh, so, so no, she had nothing. There was, you know, my kids and I have great relationships. I wasn't uh, an absent dad, though. I have to admit, if 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 life repeats itself i would have eventually been like my father and been more absentee though i didn't have a gambling problem to take me out of the house well, your father did he yeah, did don't forget gloria this is a dream yes i know but there but he's also saying it's reality well some of it maybe I mean, is yeah, might be I'm just, yeah. I'm just asking him about the reality Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, most most writing is is basically a funhouse mirror of reality for most people. Most writers, I think, um, you know, they plumb the depths of their own experience. Um, this is true. That, that's as true as you get. Yeah. Um, speaking of courtroom dramas, um, Catherine Goodman, who is I consider her. Uh, our attorney, if we ever need her, um, she's online. She's called Creative Law, and she's very good. Um, but she sent out for no reason at all. She said she just put them together um, a list of movies uh, having to do with courtroom, you know, being done in the courtroom. And the ones that she felt were the most um important to her the one she most enjoyed and there were 10 of them and on that list was um an oldie 
called um, Witness for the Prosecution. Oh, sure. Tyrone Power and uh, Marlena Dietrich and yep. Charles Lawton. Yep. And I watched it last night and it was, you know, it it's probably really one of the really better movies. Mm -hmm. And I wondered... After I finished watching it, I said, I wonder who the heck wrote this. And I checked it this morning, and, and guess who? Agatha Christie. Absolutely. Who else could write as convoluted a plot as that one? So it was, it was written as a play. Yeah. Um, and, formed, yeah. And then they picked it up as, as a film. Right. But right. it was excellent, you know, and I do recommend it even. Just even if we're not involved in um, lawyers and, you know, courtroom, <laughs> it's still very good. So, okay. Charles, would you like to go next? <laughs> You're the last one on the <laughs> in the lineup here. All right. That's, that's great. Thank you. Okay. What have you got? Well, this is an old uh, this is an old short story that I started a while back. Um, uh, it's a I don't know. It's nine hundred words. We'll see. Just raise your hand if you're tired of hearing it. That's all I can say. It's uh, called the family affair. Well, let me work on this for a second. There we go. The paint in the walls of the jail, jail cell were peeling, revealing a pattern of cracked patches and creeping black mold. The absence of a sink or toilet defined the space's utility. Dave leaned, against, leaned his head against the wall at the corner of the steel bench in an attempt at comfort in the dreary space. An abrasion on his forehead and the blurred vision in his right eye caused him concern. A sergeant passed and walked towards the exit. Dave spoke up. I need someone to examine my eye and clean this cut. When will I be allowed to see a doctor? That's above my pay grade. I'll check with the lieutenant. Dave's injury occurred in the hallway at his home. An overzealous police patrolman responded to the urgent radio call. The young officer arrived at Dave's Maple Street address within minutes of the alert. He was unclear of the circumstances and attempted to handcuff Dave, the distraught male arguing loudly in the home's hallway. Dave, in turn, swore at the uniformed cop and they shoved him towards the front entrance. The patrolman panicked, slid the nightstick from his utility belt, and without hesitation, walloped Dave on his head. The blow landed above Dave's right eye and collapsed unconscious on the slate-tiled floor. The cop called for backup. The road trip to Quebec City from Boston was boring. The main road was just two lanes. It certainly wasn't a highway but it was a route with trucks hauling logs and an occasional motorcyclist polishing his daredevil, polishing daredevil moto racing techniques. David just completed a three-week trip through Germany and Spain, problem-solving for the European clients of his composite materials distributorship based in Canada. The flight into Boston's Logan Airport was first class with decent meals. Now headed home, he would arrive in time for Marcy's fifth birthday celebration. He found the perfect gift for his daughter, a European children's clothing shop. 
His neighborhood smelled fresh and green through the open car windows as he turned onto Maple Street. There was a tinge to the street, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a tinge to the tree leaves as he parked in front of his garage door next to the unfamiliar black Audi A8. Autumn was about to play tricks on the manicured gardens and fertile fields. Dave gathered his luggage and rolled it along the brick walkway to the side door. He inserted his brass key. The door opened to the sweet fragrance of baked cookies. Oatmeal raisin were Marcy's favorite. Out of habit, Dave reached to place his keys on the hall side table. The mahogany table was gone, replaced with a pine and oak colonial reproduction. Photos of his daughter, a handsome young boy and a gorgeous stranger were framed and hung above the table. I like the mahogany. Why the change, he wondered. And new photos? Light footfalls announced a woman on the stairs. Dave's smile vanished as the person reached the last step and she was not Sarah, his wife. Hello, I'm Dave. Who are you? Sarah upstairs? The stunning woman approached Dave and greeted him with a hug and a kiss in the mouth. Gosh, Dave, I missed you. Nice greeting, but where is my wife, Sarah? Aren't you the comedian? Welcome home, Dave. The woman raised her arms to hug him again. Dave stepped away but bumped the wall. More framed images were displayed. In a black painted frame, the image of the woman standing in front of him smiled and hugged his daughter. And that handsome boy was there again. Dave was in this scene. His arm around the strange woman's waist as he grinned broadly. He remembers the occasion. They were in Chatham near the Squire's pub. He and Sarah took Marcy to hear a string quartet concert hall. Next to that is a photo taken in Italy. But Sarah, who arranged the trip for the three of them, is not in the frame. Once again, the woman standing before him, smiling and trying to hug him again, is with him in the photo. Okay, you got me. This is a great joke with nice photos. But tell me, where's Sarah? Dave, what's wrong with you? Welcome home. I'm so pleased you're in time for Marcy's party. I hope you didn't forget a gift. Dave reacts quickly. Who are you? Where's my wife and family? That's enough of a prank. Where's Sarah and my daughter, Marcy? Dave walks to the stairs and calls out. Sarah, Marcy, it's over. The joke is over. I'm home. There were other photos in the house. Some were arranged on a table, others placed along a shelf. Dave's smiling face beams from each, but he doesn't recognize the woman. His daughter is there, and again, there's that boy from the other photo. There were pictures. Whoops. There were pictures from a trip to Italy last October. Finally, one taken with just himself and this unfamiliar woman swimming in Hawaii, the trip he took later with only Sarah. Dave panicked. Who are you? Where's my wife and family? This is too much. Where's my daughter? A man descended the stairs and greeted Dave. Dave, glad you're back. Who was that insurance guy you recommended? I lost my post-it with his name and number. George, what's with the beard? What are you doing here? What kind of scam is this? Dave, relax. Your brother is here for Marcy's party. That's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> okay. That needs, that needs a lot of work, but. It's, it's a start. Boy. Yeah. See, this is a parallel universe. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure yet. I'm, I'm really not sure. I was really getting to be sadder and sadder as I listened to you because I thought, oh, my goodness. Something happened to this man. He had a stroke or he has 
dementia or something. But maybe it's not going to be that mundane, huh, Charles? Well, that was, you know, it could be that, Gloria. We don't know yet. That's the main idea. And thank you for admitting to that. That's good. <laughs> the one it's thing I rough and ready. The one thing I had a problem with, Charles, is why would he fly into Boston if he's living in Canada? Oh, he picked up his car to drive home. I, I don't know why. I guess he had a that that's a good that's a good point. I'll work on that. Okay. What happened to last week's story? Did you finish it? No, that's in the Wayback Machine. I, all I'm doing is working on this uh, novel. That's that's all I do in the weekdays. Oh, okay. All right. It's too bad. I I hate to be left up in the lurch with your stories. <laughs> um, well, thanks, Gloria. Sooner or later, they'll come. You know, they'll come together. Yeah, but I don't know if I'll be alive. <laughs> You like you remind me of Jeff, who used to bring these interesting stories in and read them, and we would make comments, and then we'd never hear uh, about them again. All the characters, and uh, so anyway. Well, Jeff, well, Jeff had two books going. So one week it was uh, it was the book with the little people, and then there was another another book with the with the. Uh, what did you call them? The 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 Romans in uh, yeah. in in Great Britain. So he had two going. That was tough for a while, but they were great stories. Yeah, and they never seemed to end. And he changed the characters in midstream. You know, if we told him we didn't like what this character was, he changed it. It was delightful. <laughs> I miss the endings. I, I like things kind of, you know, tied up. <laughs> did you notice she she did her hands like a knot? She wanted them tied up. <laughs> I thought it was Pearl one knit two. <laughs> oh, I don't do knitting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you had the moves down. Gloria, you've got the moves there. I used to do that when I was young and foolish, but no. I don't do that anymore. Anyway, just joking. All right. Well, anyway, thanks for listening. Well, it gets uh, the interest up and it, uh, you know, it makes you wonder. I mean, you start to work, your mind starts to work at possible solutions to the problems you've created. As I said, yeah. power of the universe is the only thing that came to my mind. Yeah. And I don't even know how you would explain that. Or reveal that in a story. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's just going to be a bunch of crooks, really. That's what it's going to come down to. They really set this whole thing up because the because uh, Dave has a bunch of money, a bunch of investments, and uh, his brother is a bum. So his brother hooked up with this woman who's faking it. That's as far as I've got in my back notes, you know. So we'll see what happens. Uh, it, okay. You, know, you could always have a. A parallel story that you reveal at the end where his wife comes home and she finds a strange man with his picture and her photos. In other words, that would be kind of like is both going through that experience, but in different universes. Oh, I like that one, Paul. That's, yeah, that's, that's excellent. <laughs> I like that one. That, that, thank you for sharing. I don't know. I don't think the writing, though... Um, 
reflects a kind of dystopian view, but maybe uh, you could develop that if that's the way you want to go. Okay, any more co I, good comments from everybody, you know, really? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, if you don't mind, um, I might end the podcast, but everybody stay here and we can chat further unless you want to chat some more. What do you think? Whatever you want, it's fine with me. Okay, well, then why don't we just, I'm going to end the podcast or end the recording. Let me put it that way. Um, so I'll thank everybody for coming and uh, we'll see you next week. This copyright is copyright 2022 Cape Cod Writers Studio. This podcast is the intellectual property of the participants and is copyright under all copyright laws. This is the creative work of the authors, fixed in a tangible medium. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.